you're mine now. Uncle? So, the blue spirit. I wonder who could be behind that mask. <sighs> what are you doing here? I was just about to ask you the same thing. What do you plan to do now that you've found the Avatar's bison? Keep it locked in our new apartment? Should I go put on a pot of tea for him? First I have to get it out of here. And then what? You never think these things through. This is exactly what happened when you captured the Avatar at the North Pole. You had him, and then you had nowhere to go! I would have figured something out! No! If his friends hadn't found you, you would have frozen to death! <sighs> I know my own destiny, Uncle. Is it your own destiny? Or is it a destiny someone else has tried to force on you? Stop it, Uncle! I have to do this! I'm begging you, Prince Zuko! It's time for you to look inward and begin asking yourself the big questions. Who are you? And what do you want? This is Brent. The Twelfth Planet, the eighth and final episode of the Dr. Puppet series, dropped this week. Our guest this month is the creator of Dr. Puppet, Elisa Stern. We'll discuss the history of the series, all the talented people and hard work it takes to put together an episode, and what that sort of dedication can do to your living space. And then we'll discuss Elisa's TV pick, Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender. Warning, what little we give in minor spoilers we make up for in major enthusiasm. Seriously, we really liked this program. But before all that, we check in with our UK branch with James and special guest Adam J. Purcell of Staggering Stories to hear about the goings-on at last month's Hooverville convention. And all that's coming up right after this. Hello and welcome to the London branch of Who and Company. Well, it was great to have Trevor on the show with me in episode 20A. And I'm also really pleased, actually, that we were called episode 20A because that kind of feels as though my little segment now has some legitimacy because it sounds pretty much like a classic series production code. Um, but yes, we got some lovely feedback from, from that segment. So thank you very much to everyone who listened and enjoyed it. I found it interesting that Drew introduced our little segment by saying well you know if you enjoy the curmudgeonal banter of old school fans then you're in for a treat so i'm not sure whether that's a compliment or not but uh, but my guest this week may be able to fill that role how curmudgeonly are you adam oh feeling pretty surly right now so why not <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It is, of course, Adam J. Purcell from Staggering Stories, a good friend of mine. Um, uh, thank you. 
However, we, we we tend not to record that much, and I don't think we've ever recorded on Skype before. Not we? on Skype, no. Always in person. Yeah. Which is funny, when you think about the amount of hours out there with your voice on and my <laughs> voice on, God, yeah. and the amount of times that we've recorded together, we've never actually recorded in the same virtual room before. No, no. A first. Isn't that a fascinating fact, listeners? 2018, <laughs> full of firsts. Indeed. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to discuss an event that I'd intended to go to uh, this year up in Derby in the UK. Um, it mm. was the 10th Hooverville convention, and the yeah. last time I went was Hooverville 4, I believe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, you've been every year pretty much, haven't you? Every year, never miss it, yeah. It's a great event. It's a one-day event in Derby by the Hoovers, local group there, and uh, it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. Hmm. This year we had the likes of Mark Benton, Michelle Ryan, David Warner, Adjua Ando, Paul Cornell, uh, Brian Croucher, Sophie Aldred. Yeah. A lot of great guests. For a one-day event, they really cram it in. Mm. Now, one of the things I remember certainly from the conventions that I did go to or the Hoovervilles that I did go to was that they were able to find that tone that very few UK conventions are able to nail where, Mm. although it's it's quite large or it's getting larger, as you say, they can still create an atmosphere where people just go up and talk to each other it's it's very very free and easy access to guests uh, podcasters are, are welcome with open arms Absolutely. and uh, embraced yeah. by Mr Hatcher yeah um, yeah really are is that still the case yeah definitely still the case so many great people there it's sort of convention where it's almost as much about meeting your friends as is seeing the guests it's wonderful and the podcasting they've always supported it from the beginning uh, there's a little podcaster room set aside for us Guests are brought in, or wheeled in, put down, plonked down in front of us. We get to talk to them for 15, 20 minutes or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's like a cross between an old-fashioned convention yeah. with a bit of the uh, the modern American stuff in there with it, with the sort of access for podcasters. Really, really good. Uh, I highly, highly recommend it. It's always difficult maintaining that balance between being yeah. big enough to attract uh, the big names and yeah. actually being local enough to, to actually maintain the kind of atmosphere that is so difficult to find. And yet they've managed to do it time after time yeah. at Hooverville. Which panel or which interview did you really, really enjoy? Oh, so many. Uh, so ones that really stood out to me are uh, obviously David Warner. What a legend that guy is. Uh, how many times you must have heard the uh, the lights joke from Star Trek? I don't know that day. But, uh, <laughs> he didn't tell it again, did he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's a really good sport. Uh, oh, and he's so humble as well that we were told beforehand, don't don't try to treat him as a star. Don't big him up in any way. Don't put him on a pedestal. Just treat him as a normal bloke. And he really is... Yeah, wonderful, wonderful chap. Uh, Mark Benton as well was great fun. He's somebody I got to sit down with for a quarter of an hour or so to have a chat with in the podcaster room. And uh, yeah, such a lovely gent. He really is. Um, you know, some of these people, they're, they're quite well known. Hmm. Some of these people have been in, done Hollywood. Uh, you think maybe they might be a little bit standoffish, not yeah. used to this sort of fan event. But no, all of them just really warm and in- inviting that you could just chat with them as if you've known them for years yeah 
Wonderful. Well, there, there was something that came out of the Mark Benton interview. I assume it was on the main stage where he he wasn't the first choice mm. of, of casting for Clive it's back true. in 2005 in, in, in Rose. Mackenzie Crook, yeah, apparently. Yeah. If you can yeah, yeah. imagine that, I can't really. I can't see it would have been the same character. Oh, I think I probably can. You can know, they're you? Basically okay. looking, yeah, they're basically looking for a, um, a, a fan, aren't they? Someone to represent fandom, you know, which... We, yeah. You know, without insulting them hugely, <laughs> uh, a bit like WizKid from Great Show in the Galaxy had kind of yeah. been there already. Um, but they wanted for someone to say, oh, yep, yeah, okay, I get the reference there. And Mackenzie Crook looks like a geek, I'm afraid, doesn't he? Probably yeah. a bit more so than Mark Benton. I, I think that that would be the thing. He would have been too stereotypical, maybe. Mm. Was Mark Benton yeah. had a bit more normality about him? I think his character, his version <laughs> of Clive, than I might have imagined from Mackenzie Crook. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I would go with that. But then again, I think um, Mark Benton's a little bit like Roger Moore in that sense, isn't he? He always plays the same, yeah, cozy, cuddly yeah, yeah. character, um, and, and, and that I think uh, is, is is true in practically anything he's cast in. Really. Probably, yeah. He did hint he might be coming back to Big Finish soon as well, so maybe even as Clive. Maybe. Really? Well, maybe. I I have a feeling that he may well have been in a Big Finish. Uh, already, he's been in a but, couple. Um, yeah, he was in yeah. Vader's from Mars. He was in. Um, Energy of the Daleks was it? it? Was out on vinyl recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, well, well, yes. Yeah, so I, I thought he may have been, but that's mainly because every British actor <laughs> that is true. Yeah. in employment has ever really been in Big Finish. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it'd be great to hear him come back as Clive. But yeah, uh, would, you it? never know. Perhaps Prequel, in the Tenth Doctor and Rose story. You never know. Yeah, don't know. He didn't actually see him die. In fact, he did say they did film a, a scene of him dead on the ground, but uh, they had to cut it. it. It's felt too graphic, even though it's bloodless i'm sure uh, yeah, so it was always sad that he died anyway he kind of looked um he, he looked very emotional i mean i guess dying must be emotional but i was, <laughs> i remember his final scene where he knew he was going to die looked a bit yeah you know, and, if, and if that in itself was toned down then yeah me, so. yeah anyway let's go forward mm. 12 years 12 13 years from 2005 and wow. uh talk about season 11 uh we have mm. and obviously this is the most important piece of news uh, that i've heard in a very very long time we know the date and time slot of episode one of season 11 finally it's going to... yeah, yeah. Can, can you believe it? it's such a non-story it's unbelievable <laughs> uh, 6 45 p.m sunday the 7th of october on yep. bbc one simulcast in the united states and canada at least for the first episode i think canada's then getting it at 8 p.m after that yeah and australia getting it at uh was it 5 45 on the monday 5 45 p.m so about half a day after we get it i yeah again I, it, it, it's funny isn't it the only reason why i say it's the biggest story is because this is what every doctor who podcast in <laughs> talks about yeah. uh, whereas you know for me it, it's it's much much more in line with what moffat said a while ago about a publication date you know it doesn't really matter when it goes out as far as i'm concerned uh but yeah so yeah. for those who are interested it's it's a little after country file actually it's directly after country yep. file airs and before the results show has strictly come dancing so um <laughs> strictly come prancing and do you know what it's opposite on itv since it's traditional to talk about what's on the other side yeah isn't it five gold rings some kind of quiz show or something i don't never heard it of sounds it sounds christmasy to me yeah maybe but it's got philip schofield on it yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, the press launch uh, was on Monday, the twenty fourth of September, in Sheffield, uh, and oh, was attended yeah. 
by cast and crew. Jodie Whittaker was there, Chris mm. Chibnall, Tosin Cole, Mandip Gill, Bradley Walsh and Jamie Childs, the, the director, ah. uh, were all in attendance. And it seemed to be a very, very stage-managed event, a uh, very oh, slick yeah. press thing. Um, and I th- The whole thing about winning tickets to go and stand out in the rain, oh, potentially, to, to see people walk in the, on the red carpet. Uh, what was that? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think, it, uh, again, it's this um, further evidence that branding and marketing has uh, been completely changed and uh, mm. I, I think you know they, they, they made an, a, an announcement to say that people could put their names down for uh, a draw mm. um, and if you were successful then you could go and stand outside the yeah. press screening but it yeah. didn't get you tickets to actually see the episode that and, was uh, uh, terrible <laughs> I, I, <laughs> well, I, I think there's something to be said for keeping things a surprise uh, but this this to me just felt once again like the audience or the fans are, are nothing really but slight uh, inconveniences to the production of this show. Um, despite that, there were some fantastic pictures that uh, that came out of it, some really good cosplaying by those who were fortunate enough to get tickets, mm. and by all accounts, everyone had a wonderful time. I mean, I realise they're not going to show photographs of those who, who were complaining or weren't impressed, but um, yeah. it, it was certainly an event and it got reported on very widely. Yeah, yeah. I, I must admit, I had no idea why Sheffield, although I have now think I've worked out why, <laughs> being such a spoiler-phobe. Yes, because the first episode is set in some South Yorkshire town or something. I think it may be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Which implies that maybe the characters, or at least some of the characters from there, I don't know. Well, uh, and I think Chris Chidnell went to university in Sheffield, actually, as well. Oh, really? Okay, which is maybe the real reason why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knows, who knows. Uh, but there's been, promo- been promotion everywhere um certainly in this mm. last week arthur an absolute dearth of any kind of uh, doctor who news or or reporting jodie whittaker on uh, on the radio uh, again all oh, really? bbc stuff yeah sean keevy who i've never heard of on, nope. on radio six um she she spent an hour or so on on, on his show on the 27th saying little as she can <laughs> presumably I, I, I've not heard or seen any of this, so I'm in a strange position where I'm reporting this when I've absolutely no idea what was said. But I assume yeah. if it was, it was big news, it would have been picked up and reported elsewhere. And I've not not seen anything. It must be um, very difficult for somebody in her position to try to draw up interest but not be able to t- say anything at all of substance. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Well, uh, well, particularly if secrecy has been treated in you know with, with the cast and crew in the same way that the fans are being treated at the moment, that she won't be able to say anything. Um, yeah. I mean, she was on she was on Graham Norton as well the day after on the 28th, yeah, I which gather, I yeah. didn't see either. <laughs> no, no, no. She's a no. riveting, riveting, highly informed uh, new new segment here. I am impressed with the way that uh, Chibnall and Co have kept all the spoilers at bay, and uh, I'm impressed by that. It's probably easy for them to do it right now because they've got so much interest just for the new Doctor, particularly the female Doctor. So the interest is heightened. But give it half a season. What will they have to start doing to keep keep the interest going? Will it be spoiler city again? I don't know. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I, I think the first part of the season, as you say, is going to have its own attraction purely 
because Jodie Whittaker's been cast. Yeah, but that first episode's going to have massive overnights, I'm sure. It's huge, absolutely huge, because yeah. everyone will be tuning in, even those who will say, I'm never watching Doctor Who again. <laughs> I'm absolutely certain <laughs> no they, they will be tuning in. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be when a novelty has died down, yeah. which inevitably it will do. Um, yeah. And I can't see how they're going to go back to every single episode and just say, ah, oh, you were once a man. Um, I, I think that would get very tired very quickly. Yeah, I don't think they would. No, but at what what point, as you, as you say, do they think, well, how else do we sustain interest? once the main draw has gone it's got to be with the stories as far as yeah. I'm concerned so. yeah yeah and that's always been my, my big fear with this new season it's never been can Jodie Whittaker play the Doctor it's yeah. been can Chris Chibnall give me a compelling season <laughs> Well, I agree, but I would say that's very much been a secondary uh, or possibly even further down the list than second um, issue that fans are discussing. Mm, Because, in in fact, I mean, the the production crew have almost encouraged it. I mean, presumably you saw the um, little short that had been recorded with the glass ceiling breaking. Yep. Now, that is the first time I have seen the production team actually say well you know we've got a female doctor um <laughs> and, and recorded something that presumably costs money and took oh, up yeah. some of their budget just yeah. to say we're groundbreaking here and that's actually <laughs> I, I think i think the metaphor is 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 wrong and i don't think they should be pushing that in my view i i think they should allow the stories to speak for themselves and hey it's just having a bit of fun i don't think we should take anything yeah. too much from that it's just them having a bit of fun and they knew that but something out they couldn't put anything out which would spoil anything. So, <laughs> well, I just hope they're not going to go back to it again and again. Um, I'm sure they I, won't. Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm very much looking forward to to watching this next week yeah. now as we speak. Okay, just moving into big finish territory because mm. clearly I can't possibly record uh, any segment without mentioning big finish <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah. The Missy Adventures have yeah. been announced. There's going to be a box set featuring Michelle Gomez as Missy. The Ruthless Hound. Yeah. The Ruthless Hound, yes. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Meddling Monk. Yes, yeah, Big Finish's version of the Meddling Monk, uh, which I think is is inevitable. Um, and we'll just have to yeah. see whether or not it's enough to sustain uh, itself. I don't think Big Finish have come up with many ideas that I haven't really enjoyed. E- even things that have attracted a few scathing comments from fans like Lady Christina and uh, Jenny, the Doctor's daughter, those box sets. That was quite fun, I, I thought. Yeah. I, I agree entirely. Um, and I, it was worth listening to them. Uh, the yeah. only thing that I think I, I actively have avoided is is the class sets. But that's okay. because I just have no interest whatsoever. But e- even mm. then, I'm sure... I probably would find something to enjoy, <laughs> yeah. uh, but interesting stuff. And I'm, 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 I'm beginning to wonder if Big Finish are gonna be able to continue producing so many different <laughs> ranges uh, that they can su- sustain it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a phenomenal output, really. It is. Yeah, I, I am interested to see what sort of stories they come up with. We've had the uh, the War Master, where he was a mm. bit Doctorish in many ways. What would it be like with Missy completely unleashed? What sort of story would you have where she's not going around saving anybody? She's going around just having fun with mayhem. I don't know. It could be great. It could be really great. Uh, it could. It, I think the potential for comedy is mm. is there. So I wonder yeah. if that's a direction they they will go in. Clearly, the War Master set uh, had some mileage because series two, three, and four have been announced as as well. Really, so really that well. that's got to be classed as a success Um, but yeah Missy they're going to have to do something with a format and it can't be 
I, I don't know. I think the fact that they're describing her in all the blurb as the doctor's frenemy <laughs> presumably <laughs> means they're not advocating, you know, that this is a, a box set about a villain. This is mm. about a misunderstood friend of the doctor's, and I suspect that's the angle they'll they'll take. Maybe, maybe. Be fun to find out. We shall see. Yes, and and lastly, more vinyls from Big Finish, which mm. you're, you're you're interested in, aren't you? I am indeed. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, yes, I've <laughs> got a couple of them. These are things we if reissued from CD, so they've been on CD. They're now coming to vinyl. Yeah. So they're not new, but there's something very tactile about holding a, a big. I don't know how big are they? Twelve inches on that um, mm. vinyl, mm. and just putting the uh, the stylus down on it. it yeah. It's very old school. It reminds me of the 70s, 80s with things like pescatons and what have you. Yes, of course. (laughs) And and do you know what? I suspect that's exactly what they're plugging into. And those of us who remember like the uh, the BBC LPs uh, with Doctor Who sound effects and, uh, as you say, pescatons. And I think Genesis of the Daleks got a vinyl release uh, at at, at some point too. But um, I'm, I'm just wondering, I mean, Doctor Who is generally liked by fans. You know, it has a very, very dedicated fandom or very mm. enthusiastic fandom should I say uh, and and a part of that fandom will then go and listen to Doctor Who on audio yep. and then part of the audio audience will go out and buy a vinyl of yeah. something they've probably got already. It's a so niche it's, of a niche of a niche definitely but... <laughs> it is but clearly the money is there because I mean yes this is all promotional activity essentially isn't it yeah. for people to go into HMV and um, Sainsbury's and see yeah. Doctor Who as a 12-inch record, mm. um, which I which I think is good. Anyway, yes, uh, the, the one that's coming out uh, fairly soon, early October, is Cold Vengeance, which is a 10th Doctor and Rose story, mm. um, which features some Ice Warriors as well. And that's not spoiling anything. They're on the cover before you tell me <laughs> off, Adam. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> But I, I, I too see the attraction of uh, of these stories on vinyl, yeah. e- even though I don't have a record player, if that's still <laughs> the right way of uh, phrasing it. But there you go. Yeah. Adam, it's been wonderful speaking to you as always. Thank you, and, Andrew. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I hope we're forgiven for going over our time slot. But oh, uh, back over to Brent and Drew to talk about a series neither you or I have seen, mm. Avatar The Last Airbender. Thanks, James and Adam. We look forward to those reports every month, as I know you listeners do as well. We've been getting a lot of feedback. And now on to our feature interview, Elisa Stern of Dr. Puppet. Once every billion years, 11 planets align. guest this month is the creative talent behind Dr. Puppet, the animated series which wraps up in October. Elisa Stern, welcome to Who and Company. Hi, thanks for having me. Hello. Uh, this is, this is uh, kind of the, um, the genesis of this interview started way back in November at Long Island Who. Yeah, so long you, ago. 
Yeah, and we, you know, we, we kind of was like, yeah, you're definitely going to get you on the show. And then uh, I guess we started with three people and, like, just schedules just didn't work out. And I think we were going to try to get you in in June. And then there was uh, – you were – you guys were – you've been very busy. So It's been a crazy summer. I mean, really, it's all because of Dr. Puppet this summer has been – really um hogging up my time yeah to get where we are now where we can release this episode um yeah it's been a crazy summer working on it that's amazing this is this is five no uh six years sort of in the making right because yeah the first one came out in 2012 uh the first ever doctor puppet video was a christmas special i made in 2012 so that came out just before christmas of 2012 and then the beginning of 2013 is when i started with the proper doctor puppet story so like that episode one um came out in march of 2013 and the one that is coming out um uh this week probably out when this <laughs> releases um october 1st is when it's coming out uh is episode eight which is the ending of the story that we started in episode one so that story alone has been uh in the works for over five years pretty crazy that's amazing I, that's i know you've been a project that takes up that much time that's that's uh, <laughs> kind of mind-boggling that, that it's sort of this epic journey <laughs> It has been. That's what it's felt like, and uh, and it's dead. stop motion Doctor Who of all things. Of all things. So, Lisa, what inspired you to enter the world of puppetry, and and how did it lead you all the way to Doctor Puppet? Uh, well, uh, I mean, I've always um, loved animation and puppets, uh, especially. So, I always that was something that I was always drawn to as a kid. I always loved art and making things, um, especially. You know, like little characters, like little stuffed animals or, you know, I loved clay and sewing and that sort of thing. So I always kind of would see something like Nightmare Before Christmas or Wallace and Gromit. And I would look at those characters and I would think like someone gets to make those. And, you know, it was one thing when I was a little kid and I was like, that's cool. But then like when I was in high school, I really like it occurred to me one day. I'm like, no, really, someone gets to make those like I want to be that person. So I made this weird decision in high school that I was going to go to college and major in animation. And I always had an interest in stop motion and making puppets so you know I mean very boring but I pursued it in college so that's <laughs> you know um, I didn't like stumble into it I had the intention of getting a degree in this um, which I did and then started working in animation and uh, one of my first jobs was making puppets for um, commercials I did a bunch of Christmas commercials making um, puppets like I did some of the Rankin and Bass stuff like worked on like Rudolph characters um uh did a yeah different style motion stuff and then i um you know started working in in television and and did um some preschool shows for nick jr and so you know i was just working and but i always like i wasn't doing anything on my own so it was kind of this thing where i got into doctor who and then i made a doctor who puppet for fun and then i was like actually let's do something with this and then I mean, it, it was very organic. Like, there was no intention to make this. It just kind of, like, one thing led to another, and then I was like, I should do this with that. And I'm like, oh, I could do more. Okay, now let's write an original story. You know, I'll make this. And then suddenly we've made an entire episode of Doctor Who in my living room? I mean, it's... <laughs> these things just happen, you know? <laughs> That's cool. Um, when did you start watching Doctor Who? Uh, I mean, at this point, it's been like 10 years, which I can't believe. I think I started watching in, in 
2008 or maybe early 2009 it was the cusp of like the like i remember when i started watching we knew david Tennant was leaving and i think matt smith had been announced but he wasn't starting so if he could find out when whatever time period that was basically the i think the first doctor who episode that aired live like the first one i remember that i could see that was new was maybe planet of the dead so i watched Mm -hmm. during that year of the specials that's when i got into it i caught up getting all the discs uh, from Netflix. So that's how I watched all of, um, you know, New Who. I started with Christopher Eccleston and got caught up with David Tennant and then Matt Smith started and that's when I kind of jumped in um, with the new stuff and would watch um, Classic Who where I could. I still have not seen all of Classic Who, but, um, you know, I still watch some episodes when I can. It's, it's harder to track those down. I wish there was a place you could watch them all, all the ones you can't watch. Do you have a video store in New York that... that I'm... I bet the New York Public Library has a pretty good collection. <laughs> I should I should check that out. Although I have no way to watch DVDs at the moment. Uh, well. I mean, there's always BritBox, I guess, is too, that has yeah. the majority of it there. Yeah, there's some stuff on Amazon Prime, too. But it is something I need to, I need to finish watching Classic Who. Yeah. Do you have a favorite doctor? Uh, I really love Peter Capaldi. I do. Um, I think a lot of that is because of my relationship with his puppet. <laughs> because even though the bulk of Dr. Puppet involves the 11th Dr. Puppet, um, he's kind of the star of the story we've been telling. Um, Peter Capaldi has been the doctor the majority of me working on Dr. Puppet. So he's kind of been my main puppet that I bring places because the puppet that I bring with me to take photos of and kind of do the conventions with is usually the current puppet you know, the current doctor. So having the little Peter Capaldi has made me feel closer to him and his era on the show. And I also just love his era of the show. So right now I'm still very much attached to to that little puppet. So um, we'll see. I have a feeling that me and and the Jody puppet will get closer this year, but (laughs) it's still Peter right now. I I love him. And he's an artist. I feel like I really relate to Peter Capaldi as a a human. So (laughs) Um, as a, also a guy who decided to go to art school. Um, I feel like I, I can relate to him. Well, getting back to puppetry, how, how long does it take to create a puppet from start to finish? Um, it can take at least a week, depending on how complicated they are. The one I made most recently, which is the 13th Doctor, um, she took quite a long time because um, her, her costume in particular was a really big challenge. She has a very complicated costume with a lot of detail. But I think her head took me... Um, a few days to make. It was a bit of a, a challenging wig that she had to do. Um, I find longer wigs more challenging. So, um, and she had a very specific hairstyle. So that wig took me a very long time to make. And how I make the wigs is I have to glue the hair on like one little chunk at a time. So the making the wig can take hours just to build up the hair. And then you have to cut it and style it. After that, it's just like, you know, actually styling a real tiny person's hair. But you have to get all the hair on the head first. And that can take hours um, and they, uh, her costume took me something like three weeks to make. Um, there was just so many little parts to sew. Um, and little details, the little stripes and everything. It, very difficult to figure out. Um, she's not typical, but she was difficult. It, it took me a month. <laughs> so I, I don't make them very often. So when I do, they're really special. Is she the most challenging one you've had to make so far? 
Yeah, I think she is, um, for sure. Some of the other costumes that are really challenging, I didn't sew them. Um, I have a friend, Amanda, who's a very talented seamstress. She does a lot of um, cosplay, and she does a lot of um, the SCA um, stuff. So she's really into the historical reenactments, and she's very... You know, she's someone who has actual knowledge of like sewing and, and costumes and stuff. I'm kind of more self-taught and, you know, she's actually knowledgeable. So I have kind of handed off some of the more difficult sewing pro projects to her. So she did Six's coat, for example, and she did the fourth doctor's outfit, some of the very complex ones. And she can do them a lot faster than me. So I'm a little bit slower, but um, I really want to make 13's costume myself. Um, I'm glad I did because I feel like I know the costume really well now, like mm -hmm. too well. <laughs> Do you yourself cosplay? I I have. I am going to dress up as 13 at New York Comic Con, which is this week. Um, I'm excited for that. I wasn't going to, and then I kind of, you know bought the shirt and then I was like oh I have the shirt I wonder if I could find trousers oh well if I have the trousers I should get some the the bracers or the braces and then I was like oh oh no I guess I'm dressing up as her <laughs> you know so um yeah I think part of why I want to dress up as her too is because um I know the costume so well so you know let's see it um human sized <laughs> You could also get a picture of you holding the 13th Doctor, dressed as the 13th Doctor with the oh, 13th yeah. Doctor. So yeah, <laughs> we'll right? see. We'll see if that will happen. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> well, look, I, I know all of these puppets are your babies. So uh, yes. do, you, do you happen to have a favorite puppet? Oh, it's, it's 12, like I said. I, I, I feel like I've been through too much with him. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. We'll see if that will change. I think 13 and I have to have a few more... Um, experiences together before I also I do like her but I feel like um, I'm more worried for her because her costume is so light um, you know it's, it's like baby blue so um, it would stain very easily so I feel like I'm very afraid Ooh. I know I do I, I I will you know take the puppets and I will you know I'll, I'll bring them places with me and take cute photos of them posing and you know the 12th doctor and I have been we've been all over the world together we went to you know, we've been all over England. We went to Wales together. When we were in Wales, I sat him down on a beach and I was trying to take a photo, a cute photo of him <laughs> on the beach. And he fell backwards, like into a puddle of ocean water oh. and it was like all wet and sandy, you know, but he was fine. He's got a velvet coat. Velvet like dries off really nicely. Like it's fine. Like, you know, it's like cheap velvet. It's, it's fine. Like if she fell into that water, she her costume would be muddy and it would be ruined. So I... I'm very worried. I'm like, oh, I don't want 13 to be like the fragile doctor I can't bring places, but her costume right, right. is so much more stainable. <laughs> <laughs> Do the does the um the sculpture of the puppet and their costumes inform how it can move? Like so oh, yeah. you have like one or two puppets that you you are restricted in what it can do on screen because like for instance the sixth doctor's coat is restrictive or um a little bit um, the costumes for the most part are just what they look like. They're fabric. They're, it's pretty thick fabric. Most of them are lined. So, um, you know, when you do stop motion, you want to have everything wired up. That's how you're mm -hmm. able to move it. Like the puppets have wire inside of them and that's how they can move. Generally, if you watch something, you know, like Nightmare Before Christmas or Paranorman, one of these films, all the costumes will have wire throughout. So if you see a costume moving, it's wired up. And I generally don't with Dr. Puppet because they don't... 
I'm not demanding as intricate acting as something you'd see in a, in a Leica film like Paranorman. Um, so it is a little bit restrictive because you can't, you know, but we kind of let the costume just go where it wants to go. Um, but a few of them, we have wired them up like the fourth doctor's scarf, for example, that um, when I was trying to figure out how we would animate him, there was just no way that scarf could, scarf could be floppy. It had to be right. wired so that we could control it. So it's wired just like a puppet is. So it has all this wire in it and you can fully pose it. And his, um, if you watch that episode where he's he's flopping around inside of his TARDIS, you can see his scarf going everywhere. Um, her coat is not wired up and her coat is so big and loose. You know, it's almost like a, it's not really a coat. It's like a cloak. Um, you know, it's so open. There's so much of it. If we were to animate her, it would be a problem. Um, so, uh, but I, I don't plan on animating her right now. We don't have any plans to make more Doctor Puppet videos after gotcha. the one we're making and 13 is not in it because we started making it two years ago. So that's not a spoiler. <laughs> There's no way she could be in it. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I, I don't plan on animating her. But if I did, I would have to remake her coat with wire in it because it's just too big. Um, it would move too much. Um, and animation, stop motion animation is all about restricting the motion to what you want it to be. So we'd have to control it with wire. That makes sense. Um, did you have an idea of where the story was going when you began with episode one? Like, what did you. Ah. Good question. Um, I did. I always had an outline of what the story was, so I always knew, you know, where I was going with it and what the plan was. The original outline when I when I wrote that in um, in 2013 um, was pretty simple. Like the further the episodes that were further in, like past like the fourth one, were kind of fuzzy. Like I just knew basically what Doctor would be in them, um, but I didn't have the specifics planned down of what that would be because it was just so far in the future. I was like, well, I know what needs to happen here, but I'll kind of write that specifically when I get to it. Um, and the original plan was actually to finish the Doctor Puppet story by the end of 2013, which is really silly now looking back at it, <laughs> that you know we could finish the story in time for the 50th anniversary, which at the time was like seven months away. And I was like, we'll finish it, no problem. Um, I mean, we nearly did because uh, 2013 was so productive for us. But then we realized that we wouldn't be able to finish the story in the way, you know, and do it well. So um, we decided that we wouldn't hit the 50th special deadline. And that kind of took the pressure off. And it actually um, allowed us to get a little more, um, you know, complicated and a little, you know, challenge ourselves. So you'll notice that the episodes that come out that came out after 2013 are much longer and more complicated. Right. And I think the quality goes up after that. And, um, you know, that was because we didn't have this deadline. We weren't trying to meet that deadline in 2013. And then it also kind of, I'm not sure when I said this or uh, this probably would have been a conversation with me and, and Aaron and Rachel and Scott, the other people who work in Doctor Who, but, but at some point I realized that the original ending I had planned didn't fit the scope of the story anymore. That the original ending was too simple and it would have felt underwhelming. So at some point while we were finishing up episode 7, I threw out the script for episode 8 and started over. <laughs> Oh, wow. So the episode eight story, the episode eight, um, is has a hundred percent nothing from the original episode eight um, outline. <laughs> so I was wondering uh, about that because it it ties together so nicely. But if you ah. it, it started 
before we kind of knew about Capaldi. Yeah. Then... I mean, should we we can talk about um I can talk a little bit more about that. I should give fair warning that we'll spoil the ending of Doctor Puppet if we start talking. So if you haven't seen it, you should go see it. Well, I'll say I'll say this much to not spoil the ending too much. But the original ending of Doctor Puppet always involved the Doctor's future. We just didn't know what that future would look like. So if we had finished Doctor Puppet in 2013 like we intended, the ending would have looked really different because the Doctor's future obviously um, didn't quite look like Peter Capaldi. So we, um, but that really didn't affect the story because it was always going to be the future, no matter what sure. the future looked like. Um, it was just um, the scope of it was far less epic. I will say the original story took place entirely. Um, the original ending would have taken place on a rooftop basically the same rooftop we saw in the first episode. The ending would have been a return to the rooftop, so we never would have been to space. There wouldn't have been anything epic. It was set entirely in a rooftop. Top. Very boring. So threw that out, realized it needed to be big, like really big, and then we basically set it in an entire solar system. Um, <laughs> so, And that's why it took us two years to make. <laughs> yeah, it's very impressive. <laughs> it is very impressive. Thank you. Most of your stories do run an average of three minutes, except yeah. for the last one. Um, yep. So between scripting and storyboarding, filming, animating, editing, all of that, how long does it take to complete an episode, a full episode? I mean, they, they've been all over the place. The quickest we ever turned one around was in six weeks, which I wow. still can't believe. That was episode four. We turned that one around in six weeks, and um, I wanted to... That one had a deadline because we were... Um, going to release the video as a part of um back in the day youtube used to do these different theme weeks so they would get creators involved and i got invited to be a part of one of those theme weeks so basically we were told like if you want your video in the theme week it has to be done by this date so we had a deadline um so that was one of the only doctor Hut videos where we said okay we gotta get this out of course they told us six weeks away so we're like if we want the video in we have to start it right now and finish it in six weeks um, so that is part, like episode four was always going to be, you know, it's the middle episode. So it was always going to be like the dream sequence, like weird episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, uh, when I realized we only had six weeks, I was like, all right, this dream sequence now is set in an empty white space. There's no background. Um, and I really like that uh, episode four is one of my favorites because it's so weird. It's just the doctor running through white empty void and he, he's kind of hallucinating. And then, you know, you find out that it's a dream. Um, so that's why we made that. We could make that so quickly. And, and Scott did the, the score entirely with his modular synthesizer and he he did that in like a weekend. So we, we did that really fast. And, and uh, um, but episode eight in contrast is, is nearly 10 minutes long. And we spent over two years working on it because um, this, the scope of it is so much bigger than any episode that every little part of it has just taken us longer. The storyboards took months. Erin storyboarded it and um, it took her a long time to get her head around how to bring the story uh, into visuals and I sat down with her a lot and we, we it took us a really long time to figure out like how you know when you see it you'll understand it's it's a very weird confusing abstract thing and it defies all physics so we basically said how can we do this without it being too silly but also we want it to be silly and fun so you know we, we would always talk about little prince rules that would come yes. up a lot so it's like <laughs> we have characters standing on planets that can see other characters standing on planets so we kind of just um decided little prince rules and uh tried to make it work um, <laughs> 
and uh, but everything was just bigger in scope. Um, you know, the music uh, Scott composed the music back in June and uh, the beginning of July because I was planning on going to England to see him and to be there when he recorded the music, which I'd never been there for before, and he. Um, got some um, you know, musicians to actually record it in a few different sessions. So we did a brass session and a string session, and I went to England for that. Um, so all that took, you know, uh, weeks to plan and then, uh, you know, weeks to mix and, you know, clean up all the recordings because they were all done separately. And, um, you, know, every, the, the, you know, every aspect of this took much longer than any previous episodes so there we go six weeks two years <laughs> i did want to point him out because the the music was just yeah. so awesome and the different themes fit the yeah. different eras whenever different doctors mm-hmm. would show up and uh it, and his vo- he has a great voice as yes. a narrator also yep amazing uh, but I, I saw those last few episodes it was a full orchestra like you were just talking yep. about i was so impressed that you i know all of that together that was so awesome it sounds great Scott also has a YouTube channel and he is going to put up some of the like behind the scenes videos because I, I recorded a video of all the, the sessions that I was at. Um, so he, he did like a compilation where you can see all the different musicians playing. Um, so all that will be up on his YouTube channel. If you just search um, uh, Dr. Puppet uh, episode 8 music, I think you'll be able to find that video. I'll have links all will be in the description of episode 8 as well to go see those. So he'll be releasing the behind the scenes so you can see how he did it. But I mean, Scott has just been the, the greatest thing because he's he has been able to nail the music for every Dr. Puppet episode because we every episode has a distinct feel and we've always tried to match the era of the Doctor. So he was able to do the Dudley Simpson-esque score for our fourth Doctor episode, and he did that kind of 80s, um, like uh, the the 80s Doctor Who sound um, for our um, 80s-themed episode that had the fifth, sixth, and seventh Doctor. Um, He did radiophonic music for our episode with the first and second Doctor. It's um, so impressive. It's, it's such an impressive... I know, like, he's so I, stupidly good. <laughs> I watched all of them today just to catch up... Uh, and just get a kind of a feel for it and and i had to rewatch that one twice just just like with your eyes closed it sounds i felt like he had like stolen music from it and like you know this is totally, <laughs> which, you which one? totally original but it's it's so it's so right on the nose for which episode oh for the the first and second doctor yeah the radiophonic stuff i know he yeah. did do real radiophonic stuff he did tape oh, splicing sure. yeah <laughs> he did radiophonic stuff and me and rachel did um actual howl around for the opening so oh, uh, <laughs> the opening is so amazing it's, it's so re- amazing howl around we we struggled to get it to look even slightly like the original one but we did the howl around um a little differently than how the the bbc did it in the 60s we used my um my digital slr camera and our my imac and we used that <laughs> to create the video video feedback loop and i think i used the um, light on my iphone to reflect onto the imac and that created the pattern and then we looped it but um it still doesn't look as good so i don't know how the bbc did it um <laughs> really hard to figure out how to do good hell around but yeah between that and then scott um absolutely nailing 
the radiophonic stuff. Um, and I know he, he really wanted to do that. He pushed for that. That was all him. When, um, when I first asked him to do Dr. Puppet music, he approached me and said, you know, I think every episode really needs to be contained to a time period. Originally, I didn't have the, ep- like, I had um, a slightly different outline. And he was the one who kind of told me to condense it. And he was like, I think you should put the f- um, fifth, sixth, and seventh Doctor together because I had it split up differently. He said, those are the three, like, main 80s doctors. And uh, if we put those together, I can do 80s music. And I was like, okay, you're onto something. So that was 100% him. Um, And even that 80s episode, I I had the idea that there wouldn't be the narrator in that one. Um, Instead, we would have this radio announcer who is also played by Scott. And I said, you know, if we have this radio announcer who would, you know, that would tell us we're in the 80s and we have this whole thing with the diegetic music. Um, I said, you know, we need to have a little piece of a pop song that plays on the radio so that Clara can turn it off. And he said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll write you something. And then a week later, he says, actually, I've written you three full pop songs. <laughs> <laughs> Which are available to download, right? They are. So it's called uh, Radio Castellan, and you can find that on his Bandcamp account. And um, when uh, this uh, podcast is out, you'll also be able to purchase the complete Dr. Puppet soundtrack. Um, nice. Yeah, finally. Oh. Much uh, demanded soundtrack, and he also got a limited run of CDs made, so you can buy it on CD um, or a digital download of the the complete soundtrack, which has um, all of the episodes, so all that great 80s music, the radiophonic stuff. He even has extra radiophonic stuff on there, um, and it has uh, most of the Christmas music on it. It's it's incredible. It's just the the ridiculous, you know, um, amount of, of, of awesome music that scott has made these last six years like stupidly good um (laughs) so everyone should go support scott and uh have a listen and maybe a download absolutely um so of course the episode for us as we record this is dropping tomorrow Mm -hmm. and that's how does it feel to be finished (laughs) uh pretty weird um it's not even done right now as i talk to you even though it's releasing in 12 hours i still have a few last things to change um i mean it's kind of surreal honestly i don't think it's dawned on me yet because i've been working on it for so long i mean not just this episode but all of dr puppet um it feels weird to finally reach that final episode because it felt impossible I mean, especially this one, because it is, um, we worked on it for a long time, and it was not easy in the beginning. There was some stumbling blocks. You know, we stumbled, or I did at least. There was, like, um, that first summer, um, I started making the set, and then I kind of stopped, and it was really hard to pick it up again. So, um, it still feels really weird to finally get here. Um, I, (laughs) really hasn't dawned on me. It hasn't, maybe in a few days. Um, and we made it under the wire to get it out before series 11, which um, I didn't know would be possible because we've been working on this much longer than the 13th Doctor has existed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, anyone who says, like, how did you get it out at the, the time? I'm like, I don't know. We just, it, uh, half of it's luck. Um, when Peter Capaldi announced he was leaving, it was kind of like, we've been doing this story so long that not only did the main Doctor in our story leave, the guy who replaced him left. <laughs> so that's a sign to us to wrap it up so i think that really kicked us into high gear and um you know i was excited for 13 but i'm like i can't let 13's first episode start um without dr puppet being done so 
Amazing. You know, we didn't know the release date until a month ago, right? They were so sure. last minute in confirming that. I mean, rumors of October have been flying since the spring. So when I heard October, I was like, okay, we, we'd we been planning on releasing episode eight in the fall since probably last fall. Um, we knew we would need this summer to finish it. So that was always the plan. So it kind of worked out. <laughs> if episode, <laughs> if, I mean, if, uh, if series 11 wasn't next weekend, but the weekend after, we'd probably take the extra week. But, um, you know, I, I really just want to get it done a few days ahead of series 11. <laughs> sure. Just kind of bask in it. I just want to bask in it and then see what's up with series 11. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we are too. Yeah. Uh, does this mean that you're going to get your apartment back? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes. I've, I've, I've mentioned this a lot. I mean, Dr. Puppet is made in my apartment here in New York City. So obviously it's not a very big apartment. Um, the set is rather large. It's about the size of a bed, if you can imagine. It's huge. So imagine if you had like a roommate move into your living room with a giant bed and stay for two years. That's basically what I have. So there's this giant bed that takes up most of my living room. All of the rest of my furniture in my living room had to be pushed back to accommodate it. So when you like walk into my apartment, there's just a couch right there because I don't have anywhere else to put the couch anymore. So everything's pushed back. Um, the set is still up because I've been using it um, for um, to take a lot of promo photos and different things I need to do. So it's been really handy to have the set with all the lights on it. But um, next week it's coming down after two years and I will have my apartment back. I'm pretty excited. Are you going to uh, put the set into storage and hold on to it for... Uh, I Not really... Or? I mean, I, I hold on to little things, but the base of the set is just a giant block of foam that's painted, yeah. So, and it's full of holes because the puppets can't stand on their own. You have to um, drill sure. them into the set, so every time they take a step, they leave a big hole. Um, I also have old puppet or old sets that um, are kind of shoved in every corner of my apartment, so... Um, you know, I would reuse the foam for different things, but I think I'm not going to be using the foam for a while. So actually, I'm probably going to be advertising free foam in uh, like the Facebook marketplace. So if anyone in New York City wants some foam, you can come and take it. I need to get rid of the stuff. Um, it has some holes in it, but it's perfectly good if you're an art student or something. It's good stuff. You can carve it. It's lovely. So come take my foam. <laughs> <laughs> Like Drew said, I also watched all of these today in a row to uh, to catch up. And I got to say, a couple of my favorite parts were Dr. Eleven dancing in the bakery and Seven <laughs> just turns around and grabs his hat and walks out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, yep. and the part where the jelly babies go flying through the air in the TARDIS, that was funny too. But uh, looking thanks. back on this entire project, do you have a favorite moment, either on screen or behind the scenes? Um... Let's see. On screen, there's a lot of moments in episode 8 I like, so I won't spoil them, but um, episode 8 is really over the top and ridiculous. I mean, honestly, the very final moment in Dr. Puppet is uh, pretty special, so I like (laughs) that one. The final two moments. You're probably thinking of the the secret final moment, Um, (laughs) um, which is pretty fun, but there's, uh, there's some really great stuff in there. I mean, Otherwise, I, I have a real soft spot for episode four because um, it's, it's the white background. It's very clean. It's very stylized. I love Scott's score for that one. Um, you know, it's just fun. I like when um, Eleven 
uh, sees the master for the first time in that one, and then the master just kind of laughs and runs away. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've always enjoyed that one. But I also have a real soft spot for one of our Christmas specials, because we do this main story with all the numbered episodes. And then on top of that, we've released a Christmas video every year. Um, and the third Christmas video we made, which is called The Planet That Came for Christmas, which is a 12th Doctor and Clara story. And it's one of our only self-contained Doctor puppet stories. It's like a little story um, contained in that episode with Clara and 12. And uh, it's just my favorite little story we've done because it's so simple and, and it's just there. It's not broken up into different parts and it didn't take us five years to make. So um, <laughs> it took us like three months. Um, and uh, I, I really love that one. And Scott's score for that one is also, uh, that's probably my favorite of his, honestly. Um, it's, it's very... Um, you know, the whole episode is, uh, it's German expressionism. We wanted to do this like dark Christmas story. So it's kind of like, it's not a joyful Christmas. It's a scary, dark Christmas. And then it has a joyful ending, but I just love everything in that, especially the sequence where the 12th doctor goes into the forest to investigate and the trees attack him. It's just scary. And I, that's probably my favorite moment, to be honest. I love the scary stuff. Yeah. Those trees are amazing. They're <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah, thanks. That's uh, I'm a big fan of those. I still have most of those trees. The trees are all puppets um, by themselves. They're all wired up so that they could reach out and grab him. That's so cool. It also has a sexy Santa Claus in it as well. It does. Yes, it does. That little <laughs> little um, Santa pinup calendar because yes, it has a joyful ending where you know we find out that there's this um, alien obsessed with Christmas and he is responsible for this terrible thing he did where he trapped this planet into a cursed Christmas um, and he's just so obsessed with Christmas he collects all this Christmas garbage that was the idea that he would have the worst taste in Christmas paraphernalia so he has a pinup Santa and he has a Rudolph poop and uh, like he has a <laughs> Billy Bass with a Christmas hat like we t we went a little ridiculous with that one but um, it's fun <laughs> Water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Well, when we have a guest on, um, we know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their, their fandom. We'd like to have them discuss something else. And... Um, you have selected one that we're really excited to talk about. Uh, tell us what that is and why you chose it. Ooh, I chose Avatar The Last Airbender because it's great. If you haven't watched it, watch it. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> uh, you know, even if, like, I, I am one of these people. I mean, I am an animator who, at the time when the show aired, worked on a Nickelodeon show. And I would look at this other Nickelodeon show and I was like, it doesn't look like something I would be into. Um, you know, I kind of looked at it and it was like, I don't think I, it doesn't look like a show I'd watch. And I was wrong. I was so wrong <laughs> to judge it. I mean, it, it it's kind of it's anime style, but it's not true anime because it's an American production. So it's kind of like, what is this like Nickelodeon produced American anime? Like this can't be good. Oh, but it is good. It is so good. <laughs> I'm so glad that um, people told me like, no, like even if you don't 
usually like anime, watch this anyway. So I'm so glad that I listened to them and watched it because it's incredible. Uh, traditionally, we ask our guests to, to select like one or two episodes to watch that you that you know says kind of exemplifies the show. And what's been happening, especially in, in 2018, is I'll watch one or two episodes and Brent will watch all of them, like <laughs> everything from start to finish. Uh, and so I get to sit in on the podcast and go, well, I haven't seen everything, but uh, this was not the case. I'm happy to say, <laughs> with the exception of four episodes on a disc that skipped... I borrowed oh, no. the, the physical ones. They're very early on in the middle of the first season. And I, I've oh, read okay. the synopses afterwards. Okay. <clears throat> uh, but I have watched everything uh, up until... Uh, from Avatar The Last Airbender. I haven't continued on to Korra. But um, I want to just kind of like re-emphasize what everyone else is saying because it's so good. I could right? not stop watching the show. Right? It, it really... is. It's a show that you just don't expect the writing and the story and the characters to be that good um, for a show. I mean, I love Nickelodeon. I love most of its shows, but it is just so above and beyond, in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. It's just really special. It's a special show. Brent, what'd you think? I came from the backwards way of watching this show, right? So I, um, I married my wife. Well, I met my wife 10 years ago. And when I did, uh, she already had two boys that were 11 and 13. At the time, they had already seen this show, so I knew nothing about it. So when the movie came out in 2010, they were like, let's go, let's go. And I was like, okay, sure. I was probably the only person on planet Earth besides the director that loved this movie. <laughs> and um, and I, I really liked it. Okay, and then, you know, I'd never seen this series until what was it like a month and a half ago when you said, you know, let's watch Avatar the Last Airbender. So, and I, I love it. I, I really do. I, I love it. It's the best part about this show is that it doesn't treat its viewers like kids. Mm, yep. I mean, it has, it has a few silly scenes here and there, but for the most part, it doesn't talk down to them like a lot of cartoons or animated shows do. And as far as the characters, they're really strong. And, uh, all of the characters have flaws, and they're not great in every episode. Even Aang acts like a jerk here and there. Um, just really well-rounded characters and um, strong female characters, too. Yeah. Katara, Toph. It's surprising. It's so good. Yeah. Especially for when it came out. I mean, not that, <clears throat> you know, it's only a decade old, but to, to watch the show now uh, for the first time. And I had been told for years that I needed to see this and I'd watched the first two episodes many years back and it just didn't do anything for me um, but you would think that this show was coming out currently yeah uh, Yep. as far as the level of respect it takes for storytelling and world building um, and the, the the characters and the subject matter you know war The I was about to say the downside of war there's no upside to war but just you know like the, the realities of war and to be like refugees. And, yeah, in a um, kid show, it shows. Yeah, war refugees. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's a like these two guys, the Brian and Mike creators, went into Nickelodeon, pitched a show to them about like basically about a genocide. And I mean, it's yeah. called The Last Airbender, and um, apparently, it's that it was at the time the strongest pitch they ever got. Like Nickelodeon, they just their jaws dropped because they knew it was special, and um, you know, I think that's why from the beginning they put so much trust in those two guys. But they were able to walk in, 
pitch this incredibly heavy show that deals with these mature issues and do it um, with yeah such care and respect that is um, you know and and make it a show that uh, is really for everyone. It's not a kids show, but it kids can watch it. It's for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Bible for the I can't imagine. I mean, I haven't done much research for behind the scenes, but the Bible they must have come up with. Yeah. Must have been intense. Because... I have the uh, the art book that like a behind the scenes book that um, mm-hmm. it has a lot of the original pitch art and stuff. Um, if if you're interested in that kind of stuff, I would I would recommend. I don't know quite what it's called, but if you you can find some behind oh, the scenes it. art of books and they um, some of the like the early concepts were really different. It was originally more sci-fi. Um, like Ang had like instead of the glider, he had this like you know like the staff that like he was. There was a little more sci-fi, and there was like a robot kick sidekick instead of Momo. Um, there were a few different like earlier versions um, that were really different. Um, yeah, I mean they they talk about the pitch and how they sold it and everything in that. I mean it's it's incredible. They're incredible, um, two incredibly imaginative guys. Um, yeah. When I first started watching. Uh, the show, I, I, I said like a couple of years back, I, um, Sokka, it just felt like that character, you know, like, like that character is so prevalent in, in anime, you know, kind of the loud mouth and he talks down to his sister and he's going <laughs> to, he's going to be like that hyper masculine and like, but I think really early on, there's this moment where it, it totally turns on it and he does something that was so very different from what his character I had seen before, but it still made sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is fascinating. And then oh, yeah. I think it was, I had to skip, I think I skipped like episodes five, six, seven, and eight because oh, no. the did you miss, didn't work. Did you miss the storm? Uh, no, I didn't miss the storm. Okay, good. Um, That's like yes. the pivotal episode. Yeah. I missed the first time they go to, um, I'm going to mess up the name, Omashu. And okay. they go to find Boomy. Yep. Um, and like, so like, we're like two minutes into that and they're sitting down at the table and then everything glitches and the whole no. scene skips to the end. So I missed that, but I, I kind of reread that. But, uh, and I think I, I missed also the first appearance of uh, Zuku's alter ego, the blue demon. Oh, the blue spirit. Blue spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, so I, I missed that. So when they start referencing it in a later episode, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I, I missed something. So I, oh, I went that's back. That's a good episode. I, I'm I, okay, I'm buying the series. Like, oh yeah. I don't, I don't buy physical media all that often. <laughs> I'm buying the series because I, I just don't like. I can't imagine this not being in my life. I'm I'm looking forward to rewatching it. Um, you know, kind of casually instead of trying to put in three or four a night just so I can catch up and, mm-hmm. and know I have the whole series done. But it was um, Zuko and, and um, his uncle that yeah. sold me on the show. Iroh. Because, oh. yeah, oh, God. Such good characters. Iroh yeah. is... Such good characters. <sighs> I know. That was that was the character that, like, that pinned me to the show. Mm-hmm. Like, Iroh was the... But I was like, okay, I like this because I thought, you know, here he is, uh, you know, the wise general. They start pitching him originally as someone who you uh, comes across as being lazy, right? Yep. Like, he... And but you're realizing that this comes from a different place, and when you start to learn his backstory, it perfectly dovetails into why he acts the way he does and why he treats Zuko the way he does. But the fact that Zuko, and again, I mean, we'll we'll put a spoiler warning so we can talk all about it. Zuko is not only well rounded, but has an arc, like a villain with an arc, oh, incredible is arc, yeah, so so rare. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was trying to think of cartoons that I watched as a kid, right? Like I'm trying to think of the kids who get to get the privilege of watching this show grow up with this show. And I think about the cartoons I grew up with. Nothing wrong with He-Man and G.I. Joe and Transformers, but, you know, they were meant... They weren't serialized car, com, uh, cartoons. Like, they weren't meant to follow one after another. Very rarely did their... Oh, no, they were always... On. Yeah, they always hit the reset. I mean, yeah. yes, I had my, my um, Ninja Turtles and... Um, Inspector Gadget. I mean, that's what I grew up with. So I love serialized storytelling. I'm much like classic Doctor Who. And I would like modern Who to revisit that style of storytelling because Doctor Puppet is the same way. I love serialized story. Like um, right when you're at the beginning, when you said like, what is the first episode to watch of of Avatar? There's only one option. The first one. You can't jump in anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you can't. it, It is a even season to season. All the seasons flow. Um, Mm -hmm. It is, I mean, it is, uh, I keep saying, like, blowing it out of proportion, that it is such a unique, special thing that exists, because most networks wouldn't have trusted that, wouldn't have given these guys three seasons, and basically they could plan enough that they could make each season a special arc on its own, because you have Mm -hmm. these three books, and when you see the show, or if you have seen it, you know that each one deals with a book with the element. There is a, a pattern there. It's not random that there's three. There has to be three. Um, it's a trilogy. But then you have the beautiful arc over the whole thing um, You know that was highly planned. Like, what other show, let alone a kid's show, is that well planned out um, to be exactly three seasons and be able to tell its full story? Um, and that's, uh, you know, we haven't talked about Korra yet, which is the follow-up, but that's why one of the reasons I don't like Korra as much is it doesn't get that. Um, Korra is, is three seasons and each one is pretty distinct and there isn't um, there isn't that beautiful flow between them that Avatar had, unfortunately, mm. um, even though there's actually four seasons of Korra. So there's more of it, but the story never grabbed me as much because her story is a little more of a path. It's not this beautiful arc of like, there's a clear goal at the end. It's kind of just, she wants to be a good avatar and deals with some stuff, but it's kind of a windy path that's unclear where it's going. And avatar is just, um, yeah. <laughs> it has a timeline. And it it, does. Sorry, it has a deadline. Oh yeah. Like, it has you a know great... you have to do this by this time. It's got a great or... ticking clock in it for a story. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it does. So which of these characters resonate with you and, and why? Ooh, I think I'm, I love Iroh. I do. But, um, I mean, you know, I, it's, it's, it's cheap, but I do like all of them. I don't really dislike anyone, but I think, um, you know, you gotta love Uncle Iroh. He's, he's just the best. Yeah. How about you, Brent? Uh, he was one of my favorites also. Yeah. And Aang. Yes. Um, yes. Just. I think I'm with you. There's really not a character here that I don't like. Uh, I didn't like Sokka at first, but he grew on me. And Azula was pretty much a one-note character until later on when we see a bit of her backstory with her mom. But I would say Aang and Zuko because of their really well-planned arcs over the series. Yeah, I um, Iroh is absolutely my favorite. And when uh, Iroh kind of disappears... Uh, in the the middle of the second season mm-hmm. was so bummed and I understand why I mean the voice actor passed away and so you can't use the character as much but I I really felt his loss in the story and I'm oh, and, yeah. and I think part of maybe Zuko's 
transformation he needed to be separated from his uncle in mm-hmm. in some sense but like you could feel his pain um and uh <clears throat> one of the things i loved is you know we deal with zuko and then zuko suddenly kind of goes away as being the main villain and azula comes in and she's the main villain and she seems very like almost two-dimensional as a she's like she is determined and she's you can't trust her but then you meet her friends mm-hmm. and like you know she has friends who you know she has friends that's really impressive and when there's a turn with her and her friends later in the story what that does to her is absolutely believable and is so fascinating yeah um, i haven't watched uh a lot of the episodes recently so i'm a little fuzzy on ex- on this but i think there's also a turn with her isn't with her her family like you kind of find out why she's crazy um that she was right she was you know like she was taught to be perfect and not have a hair out of place and it's even her who you know there's no character on the show who is flat um no. they do such a good job of filling in everything um <laughs> yeah it's uh <laughs> And then more, some of the stuff I haven't thought about. I'm like, that's right. Even Azula. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Azula's fate is, is kind of, and I, I'm, I'm told the, one of the things that kind of bummed me out is certain character stories, um, kind of get dropped by the show, but I, and I was really bummed by that until I was informed that there's a whole series of comics yes. that actually explain, uh, the mom afterwards and so i'm i'm have yes. you read those i have not read all of them just a few um uh the one that i really enjoyed which i think it's called the search i want to say it's the search i think it's that it's i'm looking at it on my shelf but I'm, my eyes are too bad to actually read the title i think it's the search it's the comic that yes there was a plot point that is probably the only kind of dangling thread in avatar that is introduced is um where is zuko's mother um and they just had to drop it from the series but there's a comic that is a fantastic comic that uh will delve into that so um and my copy more... is on its way i'm really yes. looking forward to it yeah i haven't read most of the others but um maybe i should um because yeah, they're great i mean it's just, it's so good it really is um one of the things that really kind of blew me away is when we are first introduced to the the earth kingdom and that just everything that happens in season two is is kind of fascinating because you get, you know, it, it you it's a war story, right? It, you, have a, yeah. you have your chosen story, right? You have your chosen story in your arc. You're coming to power and you're accepting accepting your fate, but it's also a war story. And there's certain stories that you expect um, in a traditional war story, but when you get to this town that doesn't even know that the war is going on, yes. per se. And, and you get the political intrigue and, you know, the fact that there are forces within the resistance that are, I wouldn't say aligned with the bad guys, but are more concerned with their own power. Uh, yeah. And it's just a totally different story, you know, like building that wall. Again, that imagery of the wall feels contemporary, you know, like the idea that you're isolating oh, yourself yeah. from the rest of the world. Um, yeah. 
it's yeah. I mean, you, you would never expect this from a show that is targeted at ten-year-old boys and is on Nickelodeon. Um, right. Yes, I know. I know. I'm, I'm sound like a a brokered record here, but it's true because um, the creators really have this amazing story, and Nickelodeon really trusted them um, to to bring it to life with all of that that stuff that you would never have expected that those. Uh, yeah, the the whole uh, yeah, Bossing Say there is no war in Bossing Say. Um, and this, so here is like a little insider joke in like the Avatar community is um, we say there is no movie in Bossing Say. Oh, nice. <laughs> when so like you mentioned that movie before, but I should have said to you there is no movie in Bossing Say because um, <laughs> generally we do not speak of live action Avatar um, until maybe now we can, but. Uh, the whole idea of, of what that movie was. Most um, fans of Avatar would just rather say it never happened because it is a pretty bad adaptation, <laughs> to say the least. You know, it's funny because I, I asked um, Brent if I should watch it ahead of time and I asked you if I should watch it ahead of time and he's like, yeah, you, well, why wouldn't you? And you're like, no, whatever you do, don't do that. Um, I'm still going to watch it. Um, yeah. I'm still going to watch it, but I didn't want to come on if I didn't like it and try to... I didn't want this to be me complaining about something because it this is this is such a a moment in animation and yes. storytelling, and I yes. think it is such a powerful story that you know, like I immediately got in touch with all my friends who have kids, and there are many, and could have you seen this? And they're like, of course we've seen this. Where are you? We just assumed <laughs> you had seen it. I'm the we were the only two people who apparently hadn't watched this show. Uh, <laughs> uh, so assuming the world is at peace, um, and maybe you can even take this um, prior to uh, the Fire Nation attacking, but um, in which elemental nation would you like to be a part of if you were a bender? Like what, when, when watching this, which one do you go, mm. yeah, I would want to do, I would want to be one of that kind of benders. Airbenders seem to have the most fun, but I don't know. I don't know how I could live in their society. That might be tough for me. Um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> maybe I have to be a rogue airbender who, instead of being a nomad, lives with the water tribe. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> a little best of both worlds. Kind of have a family, um, and uh, you know, and live in this community, but fly. That's what that's, I want. Yeah, that's cool. How about you, Brent? I would say the water tribe for me. Um, I'm a water baby. And it just seems like the most uh, the most powerful, maybe, but definitely the most peaceful, also at the same time. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I would pick the Water Tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would want to live in one of their uh, one of their uh, villages for sure. They seem fun. Yeah, I was trying to think of like, <clears throat> I mean, I'm definitely a, a, a Water type. I love that each um, each bender has a different martial, real world martial art that, mm-hmm. that kind of goes ahead, and and uh, the water bending is very much tai chi, uh, which is the the only martial I'm not even martial art, but even that that practice that move is the only thing that I'm even remotely aware of, uh, and I don't do it as much as I should. Um, but I I it just I love the fact that <clears throat> they all have these many many applications, and I I'm very nitpicky. You know, I watch stuff like this. I, I start breaking it down as a writer, and, and, and I look at everything as someone who does a lot of role-playing games. I'm like, okay, how would you turn this into a role-playing world, and how could you turn that into classes that you could play? And I'm like, it seems like the waterbenders aren't being used to their fullest potential, <laughs> you know? 
and and that actually gets addressed towards the end, you know, with with the fact that like you can bring water from other things. The episode with um the the bloodbender yes is That's so scary. creepy. Yep, it's so creepy and scary, and it's one of my favorites of the entire series because it could have it could exist outside of almost all the other uh, stories. Like it, you could have taken that out and put it early on, um, with the exception of like. Katara wouldn't have had that prowess in it, but um, by itself, it is such a powerful story, but it also shows that the creators are very much paying attention to how a fan would think, mm. you know, like, and it comes into play later too. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've read, um, I think this is just a fan theory or a, I'm not, or possibly of something the creators had addressed. I'm not sure. Cause this was a while ago, but that um, air nomads are like, basically these peaceful monks because um airbenders are really could be the most powerful because they could just suck all the air out of your lungs they could just kill you the easiest so they have to have you know they had to create this like peaceful society because they are secretly the most powerful by a lot um (laughs) i could see that that. yeah i mean like all of them and it's it's funny because of all of them you'd think oh fire you know you could oh they're the weakest of fire they're absolutely the weakest. Yeah. And what's fascinating is that they made them the aggressors, but they also gave them technology, right? Mm-hmm. Like fire is really almost like Mordor from the Lord of the Rings. Like you mm-hmm. you are progressing into uh, an industrialized age, and that's what powers their their domination, not the actual bending itself, but how they use that to manipulate uh, a, a different society. Mm, yeah. So. Mm. It's cool stuff, man. So cool. <laughs> now I want to go rewatch it. I have time now. Now that episode eight is done. Um, I think I got a, uh, well, uh, my sister has the, the DVD box set, so I could go borrow that from her, but I'd need to buy myself a DVD player again. But you know what? I think Avatar is worth it. And then the DVDs are good. I'm not sure any of the streaming ones that you can buy have this, because there is a lot of great behind the scenes on those DVDs, especially with the martial arts stuff. They kind of show how, um, you know, bringing in the martial arts experts that they film for reference, and it's like they brought them into the Nickelodeon gym, and then they, you know, filmed them doing martial arts for the animators. It's it's incredible stuff. It's so good. Worth it. The DVDs alone are uh, worth it for that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite episode or episodes? Ah, I I like the storm. That's from that's um about halfway through the first series because that's the one that is the turning point. I think I mean I liked it from the beginning. I I, I liked it, but that for me is the one where it turns from like this is an above average kid show to like oh no this is special. Um, so that's the one I always tell people if even if they're not sure they're into the show, that's the one that um sold it for me. So I um I enjoy that one, but I think. <laughs> The honest answer is that I really like the Ember Island players because that's <laughs> um it is the greatest recap episode ever made for a TV show. I will say that. Uh, it's uh It was unique, yeah. <laughs> it's towards the end of the show. It's where they recap the whole show when yeah. the characters run into a um a theater troupe who is putting on their story. <laughs> But gets a lot of the details wrong, which is also very similar to the live-action film that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I love the part where somebody says, uh, 
wait a minute, did Jet die? It's like, well, we, we don't really know. It's kind of in the air. Yeah, well, it was on Nickelodeon, so they couldn't really kill people. They do end people a lot. You'll notice that. They say, like, we must end him. Um, so they couldn't kill the character on screen. But I love all that commentary. Even the generally considered worst episode is the Great Divide, and they kind of fly over the Great Divide, and they're like, what's that? It doesn't matter. <laughs> so Which one is the Great Divide? <laughs> It's, it's a really early episode. It's the one where there's, like, the family that's feuding and part of it's done with, like, kids' drawings. It's a little bit silly. Um, oh, I, haven't, I think that might have been one of the ones that, that I... You might have skipped that I mean, it's not a bad episode. Not by any means, because Avatar is so strong across the board. Right. But it is, like, the one episode that's just kind of, like, it's about learning a lesson. Like, it's the one that feels the most like an actual typical kids show episode like we're gonna learn a lesson about sharing or something i i can't quite remember it someone's probably yelling at me somewhere that i'm dissing <laughs> that episode but it's it, it's just a, a morality episode wait is the great divide in the earth kingdom where they're the two groups are trying to get across and there's those yeah spider yeah. things gotcha. i think i think so yeah gotcha yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's not bad at all. No, it's, not in any way, shape, or form. No, yeah. not at all, because every episode of Avatar is the best. But it's maybe the one that they could have left out, and the story wouldn't be hurt by it. Uh, Drew, did you have a favorite? Um, <laughs> oh, I like the bloodbending one. Um, yeah. I, I'm I'm terrible at at names, and and I you know I hit the play on the disc, and I like watch a disc in the evening, um, and so I just don't don't pay attention to titles just in general um i think it's called a puppet master puppet yeah. master sounds hey, right yeah perfect for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i really like that one because that sort i like creepy stuff um and it also has a certain meta aspect to it so it like it it really focuses on a lot of they put all the horrible things of war and what are essentially work camps and all of that stuff in one episode. So it's like, well, if you got to skip one, don't let your kids watch this one kind of a thing, um, <laughs> which is exactly the kind of stuff I want to watch. Um, yeah, I, I like that because I also like when they get creative with a power that you think. And that's the thing, too. Is everyone learns. It's like, oh, I'm not very good. Three episodes later, you are a master. Um, <laughs> but it is a kid's show, and it has a limited timeline. So, you know, you make this assumption that this happens over a longer period of time than it actually does. It makes sense, or that they are destined to be these great heroes. I mean, you know, and only in something like this format can Aang meet the very best waterbender and meet the very best. Um, oh, I just wanted to, again, because you talked about how strong roles for women... Um, the fact that they don't even draw attention to the fact that they're doing it. Um, you know, you go into the Fire Kingdom or Earth Kingdom and there are women soldiers just as many as there are uh, male soldiers. But they they also treat disability in a really Yeah, I know. I say, how have we talked this long without mentioning Toph? <laughs> right. Um, and not even Toph, but there's also the inventor's son in the wheelchair who yes. never, there's, who he does eventually kind of disappear like randomly, but um, he is never limited. Um, and that's such a fascinating thing. Like the point of the story is not, oh, you know, I can't walk, therefore I'm lesser. And that the story doesn't doesn't even mention that fact. Like he is just as badass as everybody else. Um, yeah, but yeah, Toph is fabulous. Yeah, I mean, definition of badass. Um, yeah, a, a character with a disability who, you know, she she's amazing. She doesn't let her disability stop her. Um, you know, she's adaptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she's, <laughs> I mean, she's the strongest world character of all of them. She's, she's fantastic. Her character's great because, um, 
she does a great job playing off of everybody, and that's something else I think is really fabulous. Uh, I don't think there's a single character that doesn't interact with any of the other characters. Uh, like, like everyone has a solo scene. Uh, 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 so everyone is paired at some point in time in the series, even with Appa. Like mm-hmm. Appa, like everyone rides Appa and has a you know a relationship with Appa or Momo or you know like you 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 get episodes where Toph and Katara go off together, but you also have ones yeah. where oh, Toph the, and Aang go off together. Everyone has an episode with Zuko, right? That that's like right. a running gag where it's like, where's my Zuko adventure? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, one of my favorites was uh, Jet from the first season. Oh yeah. Um, of course, the the four part finale was so intense. Uh, I had to watch all four of those at the same time. Oh, yeah. Um, it, but in season two, there's one episode that is so different from all the other episodes, uh, Tales of Bossing Sing. Yes. Yeah. Where it's basically five-minute vignettes of, of different characters doing different things. And the one about Uncle Iroh yes. killed me. I did not see that coming at all. And, you know, he just walks up and he sits down and he opens up the little box and his you know his son is there and he's singing the song that he sang to the little boy a few minutes earlier and oh uh, and then they have the tribute to mako yep. to the side yeah and, and that's when like, the voice oh. actor died yeah and yeah. see he was like a he was a big star in the 80s he would pop up in different yeah. like martial arts action movies in the 80s and so i knew who he was but I didn't know. I think I he's he he's the voice of Splinter in, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I believe. That's right. Yeah, Which I have. Is. I have a cell of Splinter hanging on my wall above my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like I knew who he was, and I knew he had passed on, but I didn't know when. So I didn't know that he had died during the making of this. So when that popped up, I was like, <laughs> uh, "That was that was great." Yeah, that yeah. was. A, I yeah, I I cried a lot uh, yep. in watching this this show. Um, the thing that hits me, it's not sad stuff, but it's loyalty, um, mm-hmm. demonstrations of loyalty, um, or innovative, like socially innovative storytelling where it, it makes me just go, oh my gosh, this is so nice just to see like <laughs> good characters or women. Now I really want to rewatch it. I think I, I need to too. now. Well, I, I mean, I probably would be feeling like I need to rewatch it anyway because of the news lately um, yeah. with the big announcement, <laughs> but um, which was kind of good timing for us. I was already thinking that I need to rewatch Avatar. Now I definitely do. Well, what do you think about this announcement? Uh, it really caught me off guard. I mean, it was one of those, right, the annou- announcement is that Netflix is going to do a, I guess we'll call it a remake of Avatar but it is live action, but with the original creators as showrunners. Basically, it is um, a big fat uh, apology about the live action movie. <laughs> um, I was talking to uh, my friend Aaron about it, and I said, what do you think? And everyone's kind of, I feel like everyone's hesitant because the show is so good as the animated version. And this is especially with animators. We're like, why do you have to remake it and make a live action? Was the animated one not good enough for you? So we're all a little bit mixed feelings about that. But obviously I'm excited to see Avatar with um, a Netflix budget. So I can't say no to that. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's kind of like what Aaron said was, I don't think that the showrunners would be coming back for this, except that it, it really is because um, M. Night Shyamalan messed up the movie so bad that he made that they need to go and do it themselves like basically they're getting the do-over um at netflix and so 
I think it's a good thing. I kind of... I think the animated show can stand on its own without a remake, but I'm not going to not watch the live-action one on Netflix. And uh, I think that, you know, I I have a feeling it's going to be for an older audience. I think this is them making it, um, you know, so they'll be able to um, kill Jet and stuff like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> And that's really what's important. Jet's got to die, yeah. right? That's yeah, <laughs> he's got to die. Exactly. So I'm I'm pretty excited. Um, I don't know. How do you guys feel as as uh, having it's fresher in your minds? I'm really excited about it. Okay, what I did while well, watch this entire um, animated series for this podcast, and then I watched the movie again because uh-huh. I watched it before and after the series. I'm uh, sorry, but I still there were a few problems, but I, I still I don't know. We can talk about that later, but. <laughs> And, and, you know, those two creators were on board for that also. So I don't know how much uh, say-so they had in the whole thing. I don't think they did. Um, (laughs) I don't think they had a lot of say. Um, I mean, also, the the live-action movie had a lot of backlash because of the casting, because it was very whitewashed. So that is the first thing that they said about the Netflix series is they're not going to whitewash the cast. So um, that's important. (laughs) And I know it's going to be a while because, well, you know, making all your puppet, oh yeah, your puppet stuff, it's going to take years to put this together. Well, to, to do it right, I guess. Oh, to do it right, I'm also sure they're very well into pre-production at this point. Um, they've probably been working on it for over a year already. I would bet, knowing how television works. Um, here's actually here's a little fun Easter egg. When I watched Avatar for the first time, that I noticed uh, right away. There is an episode, I don't remember which one it is, but it's pretty early in the third season when they're trying to figure out like the plan because they have the um, right their deadline, which is the, the comet. Um, so they're trying to figure out how to get somewhere and Sokka pulls out this big like schedule. It is an animation schedule. It is not, <laughs> it's only on screen for a little while, but you look at it and it's, it's a Gantt chart, um, which is a television production schedule. So he pulls out the production schedule for the TV show they're in to try to figure out when they need to, to you know get to the comet by um so there's a fun little fact for you go um go yeah go find that you'll see it it's um gantt chart um yeah i mean i think it'll it'll be okay um (laughs) i hope so (laughs) you can't i don't think they could make it worse than the movie so (laughs) sorry to say (laughs) challenge accepted Um, (laughs) oh no no i mean i think it's a testament how good this program is that even Though it's been off the air for over ten years, I know they're willing to, you know, restart it. As as a Doctor Who fan, uh, I, I'm yeah, <laughs> you know, that's that's pretty great. They're willing to, you know, they know yeah. the base is there, and you're going to be able to introduce, and it's it's going to respark interest in the original show, which is I don't think on anything streaming at the moment. It, it's uh, not. No, I, I I thought about trying to stream it this week, and it's it's nowhere for um yeah. So yeah. I didn't. Um, <laughs> I'll have to get those DVDs. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's. I, I think. I think that they'll like what you've been saying about like for a show ten years ago. It's extremely socially aware, and mm-hmm. um, it feels incredibly modern. And um, I think that they'll they'll just even bring it further and um, push that even more with what they can, you know, and especially that it won't be restricted as a, a show airing, um, you know, in a daytime slot aimed at children. Um, so they'll really be able to, um, 
to yeah, I mean, it's not going to be Game of Thrones, <laughs> but it'll be more like um, probably Doctor Who, like an all, you know, a general audience's family show, which I think will be, yeah, there's not a lot of those, really, so, yeah, I mean, let's say, let's say do all go, go all Game of Thrones, I mean, they haven't said they won't, I mean, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you look at <clears throat> the series of Unfortunate Events, yes, which oh, is I loved a children's yeah. book with an incredibly high Lexile rating, you know, like it's one of those things where young kids will read it and it's great for vocabulary, says the librarian. Um, <laughs> but they made a show out of it, which it's it's a fairly, the premise is I, very dark. I watched the show. I never read the books, but um, I really liked the show. Um, yeah. And that also, I, I did see that movie that came out also about 10 years ago, um, or even longer. Um, didn't love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um you know, didn't have reference form for the books, but I didn't. I mean, they didn't make sequels, so I didn't. I don't think the movie did that well. It and, did not. Uh, no. No, it, it really didn't. It, it felt like a, a Tim Burton ripoff. It really wasn't. They didn't put any heart into it. They really just threw some stripes on a dress and said, oh, "People will watch this, I guess." Um, yeah. <laughs> but the the show is great. <laughs> really, um, you know, it's got. Um, I just love the art direction of it. It actually has thought put into it. Um, mm-hmm. the music and, um, the cast uh, f- fantastic. If, if they can bring that to Avatar, I think we are in safe hands. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, or your works, uh, how can they find you online? Well, the, all of the videos are on YouTube. Um, the, can, the channel is called Dr. Puppet, but the easiest way to find it is just to go to YouTube and search Dr. Puppet. Doctor is spelled out as a full word. Um, you can find my channel. There's a playlist with all of the numbered episodes. So when this podcast goes up, there will be eight episodes to watch. But also Woo-hoo. check out the Christmas playlists and there's a lot of different videos on there to watch but the core the meat of it is those numbered episodes i'm also on instagram and twitter and facebook and tumblr fairly easy to find everywhere search dr puppet or my name elisa stern i kind of share the accounts with dr puppet at this point um you know post a lot of puppet photos but also like you know photos of you know my cat and new york city different things so you know it's a mixed bag these days Awesome. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. This is a nice break from um, uh, polishing episode eight, which will be out in like 12 hours. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for a nice little distraction. Think about Avatar, get excited for the future and uh, how I can spend my time. Now that I have this big doctor shaped hole in my schedule, I can watch Avatar. (laughs) I am so excited. And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. What are we going to do about the rest of the crew? Take us down closer to the water. I've got an idea. Attention, crew. This is your captain speaking. 
Everyone please report to the Bombay immediately for hot cakes and sweet treats. We have a very special birthday to celebrate. Hey, I'm Quinn Lee. I work up in communications. Oh, hi. I work down in the engine room. That's probably why we never met before. Big airship, you know? Huh? Yep. So, do you know whose birthday it is? I can't believe the captain remembered my birthday! He really does care! <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs>